Let's join our hearts together for prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, it's good to be gathered together with brothers and sisters in your church, in your congregation this day. We pray that your spirit would be poured out upon us, that we would be more and more recreated after your will, after your wisdom, indeed, after your glory. Guide us, direct us, lift us up this day, for Jesus' sake, amen. This last week I was leading our Little Lambs Preschool Chapel. Uh, these are children ages three to four. And, and I asked the kids, uh, what would you like to be when you grow up? And they said the kinds of things that you expect kids to say, policeman, uh, fireman, uh, teacher. One of the little girls said, uh, these are three and four year olds. One of the little girls said, I want to be a nurse practitioner. What? Yeah, she said, I want to be a nurse practitioner and a doctor and a dentist. <laughs> Going to be a pretty busy little girl. Nobody wanted to be president. I found that interesting. Nobody wanted that job. But what I found most interesting in the responses was how many of the kids said they wanted to be one of the superheroes. I want to be Captain America. I want to be Captain Marvel. I want to be Superman. That's not too different from any of us, is it? There's a, a little desire in each one of us to, to be a superhero, to do something great, to do something glorious. When we talk about God's plan for our life, God's will for our life, it often really comes out of that sort of a thinking. Uh, when we say, what's God's plan for my life? We, we hope it to be something good and, and, and glorious. We've been looking at God's plan for our life during the Epiphany season, and we've seen that, that when we think about, well, what does God want for my life? First and foremost, He wants you to spend it with Him. Every hour, every day, He wants you to, to spend it with Him. We've also looked at how uh, God's will or plan for our life is carried out in our ordinary sphere of influence, our ordinary vocations, in the home, in the workplace, in the school, in the community. We've talked about part of our purpose is to be our brother's keeper. And part of our purpose is, like Rahab the prostitute, to be used of God to build his kingdom, especially by gathering those closest to us to him. Today we're going to finish our series on uh, God's calling, God's plan for our life. And what I want you to see is that God indeed wants you to live a life of glory. Like a, like a superhero, only more so a child of God. Today in the gospel lesson, we heard about Jesus being revealed in his glory. It's Transfiguration Sunday and, and Jesus went up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. Moses and Elijah appeared, and Jesus started to shine. He started to look in all of his glory. And we heard the voice from God say, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And as we make our way now from the Christmas epiphany seasons of the year into Lent, we move from transfiguration and the glory shown there to Mount Calvary in a different kind of glory. And in all of that today, what I want us to think about is, is how, 
how God wants you and me indeed to have a life of glory. Uh, That's God's glorious desire. From the beginning, God desired his people to experience glory. Paul, in our second lesson today, is talking about the glory that comes to us through Jesus Christ and, and how the glory of Jesus is greater than the glory that Moses had. Moses' face, remember, was shining after he talked to God, but it was a fading glory. He put the, the veil over his face to shield himself from the Israelites, but even then that glory was fading. But Jesus had an enduring glory that's greater. And as Paul was talking about the glory of God in Christ, he says this in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. He says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness. He's referring to the creation. And at the creation, God was displaying glory, creating glory. He calls light out of darkness. He created the heavens and the earth and all that's in them. It was spectacular. It was amazing. It was glorious. And he created it for Adam and Eve and for you and me. And he put Adam and Eve there in this glorious creation. And they were to walk with him and talk with him, experience every good thing that he had for them. It was God's desire from the beginning for all of us to experience glory. And, and, and that's why there is within each of us this desire for glory. I don't know if you want to be a superhero or not, but don't you want to matter? Don't you want to count? Don't you want to have some, some significance? Don't you want to be recognized as having some substance? All of that is a desire for glory. It's, it's that that makes us ask, well, what's God's plan for me? It's about a desire for glory. And, and if I can say, this is natural. Uh, it's not a bad thing to desire glory, to want glory, because God created us for such things. The problem is, our desire now is, as C.S. Lewis would say, is bent. It's off kilter. That desire for glory now isn't directed where it ought to be directed. And so now our desire for glory, instead of coming out of our walk with God, is about our own lives. What we do, uh, what, we, what we say, uh, what we can achieve. Our desire for glory now is, is based on our own accomplishment. We want to win the Super Bowl and stand on the podium. Say, look at what I've done. Our desire for glory now is a, comes out of a, a desire for acclaim. We want people to say good things about us. Look at him, look at her, look at the great things. Our glory may be found in our experiences. We want to travel, we want to see, we want to dare, we want to challenge. And in all of these things, it's bent. Our desire for glory, which is from God, gets misdirected. And in that, it falls short from what God really wants us to have. Now look at this verse. This is Romans chapter 3, verse 23, a very familiar passage. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, typically, when we look at that passage, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, uh, we, we think of it in this way, that uh, here's God in all of His glory, and when we sin, we, we don't 
live up to what he wants us to be. And so here's God in his glory, and when we sin, well, we let him down, we fall short. Well, true enough. But as we look at this passage, we should also think about how it is in our sin that we experience less glory than what God wants us to have. All of sin and and, and don't get to then experience and enjoy all of the glory and the, the peace and the power, like we like to say, the glory and the peace and the power and the wonder. Our sin keeps us from experiencing as much of that as God wants us to have. And so he sent Jesus to restore life, to bring forgiveness, uh, to bring salvation. But he sent Jesus to restore us to glory. Or, or maybe better, to restore glory to us. Glory is God's gift. At the beginning, He created it and gave it to us. In Jesus, He comes to recreate it and give it to us. This is Transfiguration Sunday. And we are making that move from the glory of, of Jesus with Peter, James, and John, and Moses, and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. We're making our move from that glory to the glory on Mount Calvary. Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified. In an odd, almost abhorrent way to us, it is on Mount Calvary that we see the great glory of God. God has condescended and come into this world and has emptied Himself of every spectacular aspect of Himself there on the cross and nailed to the cross he dies empty, inglorious. But in that and through that, he opens up the kingdom of God to us, restores it by restoring us, by forgiving us, and by cleansing us so that now anyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. So that now in Jesus, the veil of sin is taken away. They didn't get to see the, the glory of what God had in Moses, uh, Paul says, because of the veil. But anyone who turns to Jesus, the veil is taken away, and the glory of God is restored and revealed. Do you want glory in your life? Do you want to experience all of the best things that, that life and eternity have to offer? It's found in the face of Jesus Christ, crucified, raised glorified. Here's what Paul says. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, and we all with unveiled face, meaning we look on Jesus and believe on him. Unbelief is gone. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We're being transformed in a greater way than any of the superheroes got transformed. We're transformed into the glory of God, into His presence, into His joy. And that all shines on us in and through Jesus. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, uh, where it talks about how God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, Paul says, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It is good news for you and for me that God gives to us His great glory.
He gives us the kingdom. He gives us his love. He gives us his forgiveness. He gives us his glory in Jesus. Now, you might look around and say, I'm not sure I see much of that. I mean, look at her. Look at him. They, they don't look like superheroes. They don't look like glory shining all around them. No, not in this world. Paul says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Indeed, on the outside, we might not look like much of anything at all. To the world, Christians, to the world, the church might, might not look like anything at all. But that's so that the surpassing power of God and glory of God might be shown through us. Uh, Jesus had said to Paul, my power is made perfect in your weakness. It is in our ordinariness. It is in our regularness that the glory of God is revealed in Jesus Christ. And so today on, on Transfiguration Sunday, we want to celebrate the glorious living that is ours as the people of God in Jesus Christ. Uh, as you think about glorious living, I want you to be heartened. Uh, Paul says at least two times in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says because of this, because of the glory we have in Jesus, we don't lose heart. There are all kinds of discouraging and distressing things going on around us. Uh, painful things, difficult things, maybe within us, in our own lives and in our family. But we never get discouraged. We never get lose heart because God's glory is working through us and guiding and directing us. In glorious living, we renounce the world's ways. We don't seek after glory the way the world does. Paul says we, we don't act in disgraceful or underhanded or cunning kinds of ways. We're not out there in the world grasping for this advantage and that advantage, for this recognition and that recognition. Sure, work hard, do well at sports, at school, in work, in the community. Work hard, do well. But that's not where our glory is found. So we don't have to act like the rest of the world. We renounce the world's ways and instead we attend to Jesus and not to self. It's like it says in Hebrews, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Paul says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Glorious living is experienced when day by day you and I are looking to Jesus for every good and gracious thing. There is one more thing. If you're going to live in this glorious life in Jesus, there is one more thing. Make sure you keep your shades on because it's only going to get brighter. It's only going to get better. Paul ends up this section where he says, but outwardly we're wasting away. Inwardly we're being renewed day by day. And as a friend of mine always says, and the best is yet to come, where we will one day behold God in an unmasked majesty in all of his glory. Captain Marvel, Captain America, Superman, Spider-Man, they've got nothing on you. You're a child of God in Jesus. Amen.